Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our first reading for this fourth Sunday of Lent is from the second book of Chronicles. It's the only time, by the way, in the three-year cycle of readings that we read from this second book of Chronicles. The passage is a precious one because it reveals to us one of the basic patterns of biblical thought. The Bible really is a book of patterns. It shows the great forms which elucidate for us how God acts, how we ought to act in relation to God. So here's one of these really basic patterns. We discover Israel is meant to be a holy people and thereby become the magnet for all the nations of the world. God chose this one people. He would form them according to his law. They would become a priestly people, a holy nation, a people set apart, but set apart not for their own privilege, set apart that they might become a light and a beacon to the nations. But there's a central tragedy to Israelite history as the Old Testament figures read it. And here it is. Quote, The princes of Judah, the priests and the people, added infidelity to infidelity, practicing all the abominations of the nations and polluting the Lord's temple. That is the central problem with Israelite history. The nation that is supposed to be set apart, distinctive, unique, holy, priestly, in fact becomes itself an abomination by following all the practices of the surrounding nations, adding infidelity to infidelity. What's the problem with this? Not only is Israel becoming unholy, but the nations of the world remain unholy because Israel is supposed to be the means by which they become holy. It's the frustration, in some way, of God's design. So what does God do? Does he give up? No. Now this pattern unfolds. Rather, God sends messenger after messenger to the people, calling them back to holiness. What's the mission of Isaiah, Hosea, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Abraham, Daniel, Moses, Joshua, Elijah, the rest of them? What's their mission? To call the nation back to fidelity. To call the nation back to holiness. That it might fulfill its mission as a beacon to the world. Now the pattern unfolds. Nevertheless, Israel remained faithless. Listen now from the reading. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his warnings, and scoffed at his prophets. At this point, we hear, the anger of God is kindled. 
What's God's anger? I know I've spoken about this to you before. God's anger should not be construed as an emotional snit. God experiencing passing passions and emotions and now falling into anger the way the pagan gods or goddesses become angry. No, no. In the Bible, God's anger is a symbol. For God's deep passion to set things right. He wants Israel to be just, to be holy, to be priestly. Because he wants the whole world to be just and holy and priestly. When it's not, he sends his messengers one after the other, relentlessly, one after the other. When even they are rejected, now his passion to set things right burns. And what happens? Israel periodically must be cleaned out. You know, when you're dressing a wound, sometimes the wound has to be cleaned out. Infection has gotten into it in a way that you can't just dress it in the normal way, but you have to cleanse it. Sometimes you're trying to renew a house, redo the interior of a house. Well, it can't just be gussied up. It can't just be cleaned up. If it's bad enough, if the rot is deep enough, the house has to be gutted and you have to start over again. Sometimes in the history of Israel, that's what God sees and that's what God does. Listen now how he does it. Using secondary causes, I'm quoting again now from Second Chronicles, their enemies burnt the house of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, set all its palaces afire, and destroyed all its precious objects. Those who escaped the sword were carried captive to Babylon. You know, we have to go back in time now to feel what this must have felt like to a biblical Israelite. We're the chosen people. We're the holy nation. God has given us the law. He led us out of captivity. He sent us the prophets. We built this great temple on Mount Zion. The temple is the place where God is properly worshipped. And Mount Zion will become the magnet to all the nations. That's the dream. That's the identity of the people of Israel. And then what happened? In this terrible moment, a foreign invading army came laid siege to the holy city of Jerusalem and eventually conquered it, tearing down its walls, burning the temple, destroying this holiest place, killing thousands and carrying the rest off into captivity. What did that feel like? Imagine now a foreign invading army coming to the United States, invading our capital city of Washington, burning the capital to the ground, destroying the White House, killing thousands, carrying our whole government off into exile. Imagine New York City. Think of September 11th for a second. It gives you one little sense of it. But imagine all of Manhattan destroyed, conquered, its people carried away into exile. What does this mean? Do you see how that struck an Old Testament Jew? What does this mean? that God's holy city and God's holy people have been violated this way, have been conquered this way. Well, Second Chronicles is trying to unfold the pattern for us. 
They read it as God's cleansing anger. God's cleansing anger. Not out of retribution, not out of violence or arbitrary hatred, but rather God, as it were, cleansing Israel. The way you'd cleanse a wound. How do we read catastrophes? Not just ordinary bumps and bruises, ordinary struggles and trials and pains. How do we read catastrophe? When it strikes us personally, the death of a loved one, our own severe illness, the breakup of a marriage or a relationship, or the catastrophe which is befalling the church right now as we speak. This seemingly endless sex abuse scandal we've been enduring. How do we read it? Oh, it's just dumb suffering. Mm -mm. Oh, it's an arbitrary punishment from an angry God. Not quite. Better, it's a cleansing punishment. It is an expression of God's anger. Yes, I would say that. God's deep passion to set things right. Why is the church being drawn through this terrible period of suffering, of trial, of public humiliation? Because God is about the business of cleansing his people. Were there terrible things that had to come to light? Yes, in the church. Were there terrible sins that had been tolerated too long? Yes. Were there things that we were forced to see that we didn't want to see? Yes. For the purpose of renewal, for the purpose of cleansing. As God dealt with Israel, so God deals with his church. God's judgment? Yes. That's a good biblical term. I like it. Is the church right now, in a certain way, under God's judgment? Yes, I would say. His clarifying and purifying anger, meant to lead us back to holiness. How do we know that this suffering has a salvific intent? How do we know its purpose is ultimately good? Well, listen, we'll go back to Second Chronicles. Yes, the Israelites were carried off to Babylon. Yes, it was a disaster in the fullest sense. But listen, then we hear the Persians came to power. And in time, King Cyrus emerged. And he declared, All the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me. And he's charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And with that, Cyrus sends the Israelites back to Jerusalem, where they commence the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of their nation. What's God's ultimate purpose? Not to destroy Israel, but rather to renew Israel through this time of great cleansing trial. What's God's purpose vis-a-vis -vis the church? To destroy it? Hardly. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church. But is God's purpose in his anger and in his justice 
perhaps to cleanse and to purify the church so as to make it holier? Yes, it seems to me. What's our task now is to watch and to wait. As we endure the cleansing, we watch and we wait for the time of renewal. It will come. It will come. That's the lesson now being taught to us by Second Chronicles. Under God's providence, Israel is made holy. Under God's providence, the church is being made holy. Now, just as I close, a glance at the Gospel, which contains one of the most famous lines in the New Testament. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And he explains some of the most basic essentials of the Christian spiritual life. Here's what he says. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. The great story of Israel that begins in one sense with creation, but then moves through the great covenants from Noah to Abraham to Moses to David, this great cleansing process that happens through the Babylonian captivity, the messages of the prophets, that whole great history of Israel, culminates in this figure, Jesus. Why has he come? Because God has so loved the world that he wants to set it right. Listen again. That the world might not perish, but might have eternal life. God's purpose is not the destruction of Israel, the world, or the church. God's purpose is life and life to the full. Jesus is this great pattern revealed in 2 Chronicles, this great pattern now made flesh. Let us now exult in the power of this pattern. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.